Hello, and welcome to the Innovation Quotient, a new podcast series where we examine innovation and discuss how it can fuel future progress. I'm Andrew Staples, Editorial Director of Initiatives at Economist Impact, an arm of the Economist Group which works with organisations to further their mission. This podcast is supported by Philip Morris International as part of an Economist Impact research programme called the Innovation Quotient, which examines how innovation could be fostered so as to drive socio-economic progress around the world. In this second episode, we delve deeper into the Innovation Quotient, a first-of-its-kind benchmarking tool designed to identify gaps and opportunities within global innovation ecosystems and engage with our guests to review the key findings and methodology of the initiative. My guests today are Vaibhav Sagal, a principal at Economist Impact in our Policy and Insights team, and Noah Gaffney, an adjunct professor of sustainability management at Columbia University and social innovation fellow at the University of Cambridge. Noah, Vaibhav, thank you very much for joining us today. Let's get underway. And I wonder, uh, Vaibhav, if I could start with you. You've designed this first-of-a-kind piece of research, and Noah, you've been working in the field of corporate social innovation for some time. Perhaps you could introduce yourselves and, and give us a, your definition of, of what innovation means. Vibhav, if I could come to you with that first. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a pleasure to be on the podcast today. Thanks, Andy. Um, I've been working with the team for the past 18 months or so on designing the innovation quotient. It's a benchmarking tool, it's an index, it's cross-country, cross-industry diagnostic. But to quickly take a step back, through this initiative, the Innovation Quotient, our team at Economist Impact decided to fundamentally challenge the manner in which innovative activity, its quality and its returns are being assessed and measured. Um, I would say the philosophy of the Innovation Quotient is um, to drive innovation for progress or innovation for socioeconomic progress every stakeholder in the innovation ecosystem has a role to play. Principles of responsibility, inclusiveness, must be embedded into the process by design, all the way from ideation through to adoption. But now actually answering your question, um, I would define innovation for progress in two parts. The first is a more obvious part, and innovation is the implementation of a new or significantly modified product or process. The second is is the concept of progress, which takes into account the societal impacts of research and development activities, innovation activities, looking explicitly at innovation and its potential to advance progress along a range of dimensions such as environmental sustainability, poverty reduction, equity, equality, empowerment, so on and so forth. But maybe, no, I'll, I'll pass it over to you now. Thank you so much, Vaibhav. In terms of my background, I've been working with a number of global organizations, including the World Economic Forum, United Nations Foundation, and a number of leading corporations on their social good activities. For me, innovation is so much more than a means to an end. It's really about creating products, services, and systems that empower people and the planet. So it's not just about the tech, it's really about the people and the progress. Excellent. You mentioned the sort of philosophical underpinnings of, of this research, but why is this topic of such importance now? I think the, the urgency comes from the most pressing challenges that we're faced with today, all the way from climate change and the backslide of globalization to shifting geopolitics, growing inequality, the questions around, say, 
the ethical regulation of, of artificial intelligence and Gen AI these days, of course. So really we're jostling for innovative solutions that are genuinely focused on driving socioeconomic progress. And you know there is this fundamental misalignment between making money and potentially bringing products or services to the market early, but then not being able to internalize the cost borne by society as a result of these innovations being rolled out in an um, irresponsible manner. So Noah, on that point, you mentioned in your introduction that you work with global organizations, including the UN and WEF, but also with corporations as well. So you sort of sit at that nexus. What's your sort of view on how innovation can be put to these uses around um, progress? So I take a slightly different perspective from Vibhav. I see innovation as driven by inclusion and impact. And whilst we're seeing a huge backlash against environmental social governance issues and diversity, equity, and inclusion in many parts of the world, and progress has been stalling on those efforts, we're actually seeing that they're huge drivers of innovation. You know, diverse stakeholders are actually those that lead to breakthrough innovations. And so when we talk about incremental innovation versus breakthrough innovation, which is exactly what we need to address the world's biggest and most pressing challenges, we actually need to look at it through the lens of impact and inclusion. Well, let's hold that thought there about inclusion and the need for us to be people-centric when we design and and implement um, innovative solutions to some of the challenges that we face. So Vibhav, you gave us a good understanding of the why of the innovation quotient, but I wonder now if I could invite you to go a little bit deeper and tell us about the how, the methodology, how you constructed this research. So the highest level of the innovation quotient framework takes a systems approach. An innovation ecosystem and its enabling environment, I think it's best understood as three concentric circles. The outermost circle is the first pillar of the innovation quotient called the socioeconomic environment. It provides a holistic view of the foundational market dynamics, often structural in nature, that influence the innovation for progress landscape. This is basically the factors that are how country fits into the global economic order. It incorporates a range of categories, a range of buckets of analysis, including labor market considerations, market finance, competition, trade, risk, so on and so forth. One level deeper, now we're looking at the country itself. This is the policy and compliance pillar. Here we're looking at policy and regulatory frameworks that really set the parameters for the innovation landscape within the country. Pillar two, or policy and compliance, it analyzes the incentives, the safeguards that countries might be using, the interventions that countries might be using to influence innovative capacity while guiding outcomes towards public interest. There's about 40 different metrics within this pillar. Finally, the innermost circle is the business considerations pillar which considers firm-level dynamics and practices. You know, this pillar guides firms to align their innovation strategies and operations with the broader goals of, of socioeconomic progress. This has about 31 indicators. It's largely based on an innovator and business leader survey of about 4,000 respondents. And really, it offers a toolkit or insights for business leaders on how to build the most conducive business culture, workplace culture that allows for experimentation, that allows employees to feel empowered. This is 
seemingly the least tangible aspect of innovation that is kind of the hardest to prioritize. And we believe that this pillar actually offers uh, fairly tangible guidance on things that could be more fundamental changes to the culture and the way in which businesses operate. It is important to say that every pillar is given equal importance when the index um, comes together to give us a country score or an industry score. No, I'd just like to come to you on, on some of the, the, the points that uh, Viva was, was talking about there, the approach that we've taken, looking at that socioeconomic environment, looking at the policy and regulatory environment, looking at the business landscape as well. And that sort of systems approach that we're taking to this, is that something that resonates with you? Absolutely. I think we can't ignore that the firm level exists in a broader context, right? So when we talk about the role of business and society and socioeconomic progress as it relates to innovation, we often just look at businesses, right? And I think we absolutely need to look at the policy landscape. We need to look at the broader socioeconomic macro factors uh, because businesses don't exist in a vacuum. Mm, yeah, excellent. Let's get some of the key findings of the research for us to discuss. So, Vibhav, over to you. And um, what would you like to sort of highlight from the research? The first thing to say really is our global results clearly demonstrate that there is a massive opportunity for improvement, irrespective of whether you're a high-performing country or a country that kind of ranks middle of the funnel or a country that is lower down. In fact, even the highest scoring country is just at about 60 points out of 100. Um, even for the highest performing country, Singapore on, on the index, they're about 40 points away from our frontier of best practices. The average, so the, the country that ranks 20th on the index, is only about 10 points away from, from Singapore's score. Well, well, let me, Noah, come to you on that. Does this surprise you? It doesn't because of a couple of things. Innovation is never done, right? It's not a complete process. And also one of the factors that you mentioned in the report around um, bringing stakeholders together, that's really challenging to do. And that's because stakeholders come from different backgrounds, perspectives, and we're really not good at managing conflict and creative tension in these types of environments. We're not really taught how to do that. Oftentimes we say we need to run a design thinking process or bringing in a token stakeholder, and that's just not enough. So I'm not surprised that innovation has a long way to go because we don't necessarily have the tools to drive innovation, even at a firm level, but definitely not on a macro level and a country level. Well, well, no, let me just dig in a little bit deeper there because you've done a lot of work with bringing different voices into the innovation process. And I wonder if you could share some of the best practices there. So I have a framework around inclusive impact, and it basically has three pillars. The first is cross-pollination. So we need to bring in different perspectives into the process of innovation. And it's not just about a token stakeholder. It's really about bringing in those with lived experience of issues alongside those with more traditional forms of expertise across sectors, right? So academia, public sector, nonprofit and NGOs, and of course, the private sector. The second factor is around cultivating creativity. So we can't just expect us to put different people in the room and run a small design thinking process and call it a day, right? So we really need to bring out the best of people's energies and attentions. Um, and that requires a new way of interacting. And that's really the part that I think is the stickiest. And then the last part is really co-creation. So 
innovation is never done because we constantly need to go back to those stakeholders impacted by the issues, the products, the services, and the systems in order to gain their feedback and have that positive feedback loop and have them really engaged in the innovation process throughout. So I would say those are the three best practices that I've seen. Five, coming back to you on that point, because I think collaboration in general is a really good indicator of a great enabling environment. Um, one of you, you could draw out a little bit more on on that particular finding from the research. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, the need for greater collaboration, alignment and inclusion at the country level is our very first key finding. Um, at a high level, let's say the process of innovation enablement specifically focused on socioeconomic progress is definitely not linear. It's definitely not entirely managed by any individual actor in the ecosystem. And what complicates matters further is that this needs to be ongoing and iterative. So better performing countries on the index, they demonstrate a synergy, as you were saying, Noah, between uh, government, the private sector, academia, civil society, so on and so forth. A lot of this is facilitated or driven by conducive policy making and transparent governance. But there's so much around knowledge sharing, co-creation, responsible product development, so on and so forth. And just on that point, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the policy landscape because that's something that's so often overlooked. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is that Europe as a region led the way. And we often think, you know, particularly in the American context, we talk about low taxes and small government as drivers of innovation. And we see from the innovation quotient report that that's simply not the case. And so having a functioning public sector with appropriate regulation operating within its appropriate remit has actually been a driver for growth and innovation. Excellent. I think, Vibe, this speaks a lot to that third pillar, the business landscape, looking inside organizations around work culture, employee culture, and uh, how innovation comes into strategy as well. I wonder if you could give us a, a quick overview of of the importance of focusing in on on leadership. It's all about the people. People centricity is at the very heart of the innovation quotient, and performance on the innovation quotient suggests quite explicitly, in a measurable manner, that people centricity is almost an afterthought, often just retrofitted into the innovation process, if at all. So here there were a lot of calls to action to ensure that their institutions, their policy design, their policy making, implementation, enforcement process takes into consideration many different otherwise minoritized groups of individuals. Investors as well, you know, they need to be thinking more about the environmental, but then also the socioeconomic aspects of every investment decision that they're making. They need to reflect these principles of responsibility, inclusiveness into their investment decision-making criteria. And also participatory decision-making within firms can really bolster inclusiveness when supporting new employee skills. Noah, let me come back to you because you're, you're teaching at the Rutgers Institute for Corporate Social Innovation at Columbia University focuses on environmental impact and innovation, specifically innovative sustainability leadership. So I wonder if you have some reflections on that. So the first reflection I have is around hiring, and that's because we often think about hiring from a narrow pool of universities, not just in the States, but in many other places as well. And what we're finding is with the cost of higher education, socioeconomically and ethnically diverse students tend to 
go to less selective universities or public universities, which are often not the places that we hire. So when we're looking at the hiring process, we're essentially alienating many of the socioeconomically and ethnically diverse populations that could really bring a ton to the table. And then in terms of promoting and, and encouraging and empowering these individuals to stay, one of the things the report talked about is a demographic shift, right? And we know that young people really care about people and the planet. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is a trend towards green hushing or making sure that people are not making statements because there's such a big political backlash, not just in the States, but elsewhere as well. And I would just strongly discourage that because we're seeing that not only are young people and other stakeholders looking for businesses to drive leadership, but as I mentioned earlier, impact and inclusion are really the way forward for business. These are drivers of innovation. And so when we ignore that part of the conversation, we're missing out on so much. Mm. And in your conversations with business leaders and in some of the forums that you engage with, how well recognized is that? Or is there still um, resistance? I would say there's acknowledgement, but a lack of willingness to create systemic change within an organization. And that's because it can't just come from senior leadership. It needs to be a groundswell from middle management as well. And in very large corporations, that's hard to do. So if I back to you on that point and sort of bringing the conversation around to you know, the use of the innovation quotient, you described it as a benchmarking tool. And I think this is exactly the type of insight that we want to draw out. Uh, or users can draw out from the tool and to reflect on their own practices and strategies and processes as well. I wonder if you could just expand on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the reason the innovation quotient was designed as a benchmarking tool or an index was because we recognize that there is a very strong gap or need for a cross-country, cross-industry diagnostic that offers tangible guidance to key actors within and across innovation ecosystems. So we developed a set of metrics for which data was gathered, either qualitative, quantitative, based on UN data, World Bank, IMF data, or economist intelligence data, or data from our own survey, which is, of course, something new that we brought forward, all kind of gathered a comparable manner in order to allow for examples-based learning. Every time you as a country or you as a stakeholder in, say, Egypt, identify that area A, B, or C is a big gap, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can look at another country, similar context, or even from a high-income developed country to seek inspiration. Um, so the use is definitely as a diagnostic. Here's where you stand today. Here's where the key gaps lie. But also as a source of inspiration. This is the type of change that has worked, and this is the type of change that may not have worked in other contexts. So you, you don't need to start from zero. Noah, when people are thinking about innovation, very often they think of it just simply in terms of technology. But from your perspective, it's much more than that, isn't it? The challenges that we have today are simply not going to be addressed by technology alone, right? ChatGBT is not going to solve the climate crisis. In terms of inequality, we know that facial recognition software is much more accurate for white men than black women. So obviously, we have huge strides to make in terms of how technology can be used. And so that's why we really need to focus on the people, as the report points out, because 
we're really not going to be able to rely on technology alone. And of course, technology at this point in time is being built by people uh, with our biases and with our challenges. And so we need to make sure that the technology that we're creating for the future is equitable and sustainable. If I can quickly add to what Noah was saying, I think not properly considering your pipeline, your workforce pipeline, your education pipeline, and what it really means for the manner in which your economy functions is is both a blind spot and a ticking time bomb as identified by the research. You know, let, let's use the example of Japan and Indonesia here. Entirely different country contexts. Japan has a rapidly aging population, but Japan has been extremely uh, protective when it comes to their immigration policy. So they're simply not able to access the skills, the talent, the younger individuals that will inject new energy into their economy. And they have been prioritizing massive investments in technology, automation, so on and so forth. While that can steady the productivity levels in the economy, this is not sustainable. And similarly, you look at Indonesia, they, they have this massive opportunity where a huge proportion of their workforce is, is extremely young, but their education system has simply not been able to provide the right future-oriented uh, skills to their you know, incoming workers. And as a result, what we're seeing in Indonesia, instead of them really reaping the demographic dividend, is a significant rise in their youth unemployment rates, which is, again, extremely alarming. And it shows the, the lack of foresight or the lack of prioritizing your pipeline. Thank you. Noah, one more question for you. We're very keen for people to engage with the innovation quotient, to look at the data, to play with the data, to reflect on what it means for them. How would you envisage using this resource? I think it's a call to action for countries and for companies alike, right? So you have a lot of really great resources there about innovation hubs and what makes them tick. I think with the rise of digital nomads, there are huge opportunities for small cities and countries that, you know, traditionally were not hubs for tech workers. So I think it really is a call to action for those locations to really think about how they might build those hubs. The other pieces on the company level, really thinking about that intersection between people and tech and making sure that the tech that they're creating is people-centric. And I think that's something which is very clearly overlooked. Well, thank you both for joining us today. I've very much enjoyed the conversation and particularly enjoyed your sort of on-the-ground insights as we think about the innovation quotient and we think about this pressing need to make sure that innovation is targeted towards socioeconomic progress. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Innovation Quotient. And please join me for our next episode where we unpack the methodology behind the research and review some of the key findings. For more information about the innovation quotient, please visit economistimpact.com forward slash innovation hyphen quotient.